and welcome to The Mental Matchup, a podcast where we hope to shed light on one of the hardest competitions an athlete will ever face, the matchup against their own mind. I'm Kat, and today I am here with Scott Kelsey. Scott is a former collegiate and professional hockey player and the founder and CEO of Sherapy. Sherapy is a community that centers around the concept that human connection and sharing our life experiences is a key component to success and happiness. During the episode, we talk about his time in the NHL, the impact of being diagnosed with anxiety and depression, and ultimately the aftermath of a traumatic injury um, that he had in in 2018. And we really talk about a lot of things in between. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation with Scott. I think it's really interesting and I'm very grateful I had the opportunity to kind of sit and have him reflect on his his past experience through the lens that he has now, um, you know, as as a father and kind of being out of being out of, you know, actually playing. Um, it was really interesting. So hopefully you enjoy. Let's get right to it. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the Mental Matchup and being willing to talk a little about you, your story, and what you're doing now. Uh, to kick us off, can you give the audience a little bit of a Spark Notes introduction into who you are, what you've done, and what you do? Well, thanks for having me. I always uh, you know, jump it up to share my story, and hopefully, it adds some value to uh, to what you're all doing and. You know, appreciate it again. So, um, yeah, I'm a pretty open book, as I said. Uh, you know, I grew up in, um, I currently reside in Pennington, New Jersey. Uh, live in a, a town outside of Princeton. I've been here for about 23 years. Prior to that, I I grew up in uh, upstate New York in a small town, uh, Clark Mills, New York. It sits uh, about five miles away from Hamilton College, which some of your listeners might know. Um, you know, I was fortunate growing up to uh, to have loving parents and, and uh who supported my and uh, my brother and sister's uh, accolades, so to speak. Um, everything from uh, my sister's ballet to us in hockey and football and baseball. And, you know, uh, three-sport athlete growing up, um, elected to go uh, stay home and uh, play locally at Hamilton College. Uh, played four years of ice hockey there. Uh, played around with baseball a little bit. Um, that didn't really work out. Um, actually picked up a lacrosse stick for the first time in my life and, play a little JV lacrosse um, just to keep in shape and kind of have that camaraderie with, with friends and such. So, uh, you know, fast forward through four years of Hamilton, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to, uh, you know, extend my hockey uh, playing career uh, for about four or four and a half seasons in the minor leagues, um, you know, time that, you know, I, uh, I really cherish and, you know, uh, was very fortunate and blessed to be able to play uh, hockey for another four or four and a half years. And, um, that takes me into the, geez, I'm aging myself now, uh, takes me into the uh, late 90s, um, where I uh, decided that it was time to, uh, um, you know, cut the cord from uh, professional hockey. And I took a job up here in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, in the mortgage business, which I still uh, still practice in. And uh, I figured that'd be a good entree to uh, get my feet wet in the financial services business and jump into New York City um, as a uh, 28 year old kid and I, I haven't left since so I've been in the industry recently uh six seven years ago seven years ago married two young children 
Um, and that's kind of like a snapshot of kind of where I came from kind of, uh, you know, that's, that's 51 years of, uh, condensing about two and a half minutes there. So, uh, fire away with any poking and prodding and questions you have. And I'm, like I said, I'm glad to help in any way I can. Yeah. Um, you're actually the first male hockey player that we've had on the podcast or second, I interviewed Ben, Ben Griner recently. Um, but I guess my question kind of starts, if you can think back to growing up and playing sports and playing and growing up in the eighties, is that, is that math, right? Yeah. So I was born in 71. So yeah. I, I okay. Guess- yeah. Seventies, eighties. Cause I feel like it's, it's, it's still not like men in sports, like emotions, I feel like are still not welcome for the most part. That might be a generalization, but even more so back then, my assumption would be it's like rub some dirt in it, get up, you're fine. Um, there's no crying in baseball, all that. What, what was that like growing up playing sports and kind of working through any mental health, um, issues you may have had, or were there any conversations at the dinner table, anything like that, that stands out to you? Yeah. So, yeah. So late seventies, early eighties, um, you know, put my, put myself in a time capsule, you know, it's the old story. You walked, uh, you walked in three feet of snow to school and, uh, six feet you know, back and whatever, but, um, you know, I, I, I was blessed to, um, you know, parents are, are still around. They're still in, uh, upstate New York, um, up in the Saratoga area. And, you know, I think, uh, we were luckily where my parents, you know, sacrificed where they carted three kids in 15 different directions at the time to, to multiple sports. So kind of, uh, you know, that sports took a, took a good part of our life up. My dad was, um, you know, he played baseball in high school and, you know, was a very good baseball player and, 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 you know, played baseball, uh, softball, played basketball, but he, I think understood the importance of, of having something to, you know, sense of belonging in sports. Right. So, you know, I think that kept us busy enough, um, you know, with school and just growing up in general with what kids back did back then, uh, in the late seventies and eighties that, that, uh, that I think it was good for us from looking back at it now in terms of like our overall stability and mental health. I don't, I haven't really, really dug deep into, um, you know, my early years to see if there was any instances of stuff where I think something would have triggered, you know, some of the mental health struggles that I've had over the past 25 years. So I don't know whether that's, um, I don't, I've never really dug deep into it. I just don't remember a lot of conversations uh, around it. You know, I think, um, like you say, whether, you know, I think just in general, like, and, and like you said, without generalizing it, but, you know, the simply put is that I think whether it's, you know, fall down, get hurt, rub some dirt in it, get back up, or whether it's just general, um, you know, feeling like you were bullied at school and all these sort of things that have kind of popped up on the radar in the last decade or so, where um, I think, you know, there was a little bit of, um, a little bit less worry or concern about those instances. And maybe they weren't just talked about as much as they are nowadays. And I don't know whether that's amplified because of technology and stuff that can be caught on camera, or, you know, um, and text, all that sort of stuff. But I don't really recall a lot of those conversations I think, uh, you know, I had a, a very quote unquote normal childhood growing up, you know, I, I can look back and see some of the things that I guess if I did have a degree and could analyze it, you know, there might've been some, you know, early signs of maybe some emotional struggles, some distress, some anxiety, but 
none that was the top of head where it was, you know, a normal conversation around our dinner table or even at school um, or definitely not in, in the locker room. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, no, that does. And that takes me into deciding to play a collegiate sport. Um, what was that experience and decision like for you to like take that leap to the next level? Um, that's a good question. It, it, at the time was kind of scary, right? I think at the time my dad had a, maybe a two-year degree. Uh, my mom was a nurse, so she was in nursing school. Um, you know, it was, it was amazed that, you know, a sport that you grew up loving and, and, uh, that somebody was willing to, in my case, you know, help offset, um, you know, tuition and, and such to go to school, whether it was at Hamilton where obviously, uh, scholarships weren't available or whether it was in some division one programs, or I looked in the Air Force Academy, like I, I kind of was in an uncharted water. So while I did have help and resources, whether it was through my high school or, guidance counselors or just uh, my parents or just people that have been through it before. It was, uh, it was a little bit daunting at the time, but I, I knew that, you know, not only because I was a decent student, you know, scored well on tests, uh, whatever the scores were back then, I know they've, they've changed, but, and also I had a pretty decent high school career, both in baseball and, and hockey that, you know, I knew I was going to play or, or wanted to play at least one of them um, in school. So I, I decided given that Hamilton was a, a pretty good, pretty good school. And I kind of knew it pretty well. And it wasn't that far from home, um, that, you know, it made the choice a little bit easier and without going into all the boring, you know, mechanics of getting recruited in spots and red shirts and all the stuff that, you know, kids are dealing with now in terms of the portal and all this sort of stuff. You know, I, I, I had very good trust in the coach there. I played with his son in high school, so I had known him and he, uh, he pretty much said, Hey, you know, I, I feel like you're going to have a place on this team you know, right away. So, which, which ended up, uh, being the case, um, obviously I had to earn it, but, you know, I think it took a little bit of the, uh, the concern about getting in and, and, and what to do in college, because I had that anchor of playing a sport. And then fortunately, or for better or for worse, you know, that was my anchor, the sport and obviously getting education on top of it was, was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I feel similarly with, um, my experience with lacrosse and Duke, when you were, when you were at Hamilton, did you deal with any mental health struggles? Uh, you know, not if I thought about it hard, which I have a little bit, but like I had said before, without digging too, being too deep into it, like any sort of trigger or anything like that, I, I probably did. And I, I don't know whether I, I can see some instances where it could be um, related to some sort of mental health, whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression. Um, I don't think I dealt with it, right? I probably swept it underneath my own rug, so to speak. I don't think there were any really um, abnormal outward signs. If, if there were issues or struggles, um, they were probably kept to myself. So there was nothing that pressing where, you know, people would have seen it. And, and if, the, if there was, um, I would have hoped they would have dealt with it, but I, I didn't, I don't really recall, um, it being too much in the picture back then. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's somewhat of a common theme for some, some athletes, like looking back, they're like, there's definitely some things, but I didn't realize it in the moment, or I didn't know what to name it or how to, you know, address it. 
what what was the jump like from collegiate to professional because hockey's intense like that's I feel like there's so many like minor league team like I feel like it's like baseball in a sense where it can take years to make it to the pros and get a contract and you can be moving from place to place and really have no home base so what was that like yeah good question I you know it was it was exciting um you know I mean, it, it took a little bit of the worry. Um, you know, I worked with an agent, you know, so I had a couple of places with a, a couple in Europe and a couple of camps to go to. So I knew kind of after graduation, while, you know, it wasn't a nine to five, you know, job in New York or something that I would eventually, you know, um, sink my feet into that, that I had, I had somewhere that was not only gonna, you know, actually pay me to play, but somewhere to maybe, maybe in my mind at the time was pushing off the inevitable. But it was it was exciting. Uh, there was a little bit of uh, confusion, like turning down some contracts here, getting into camps here. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I landed, uh, you know, pretty decent opportunity to play again, going back to new team. And uh, like that was 10 minutes away from my hometown, you know, uh, kind of made a decision to start there. But it was uh, I think it was a little bit relieving that, you know, while I didn't I think I took it for granted. Number one, I think I took it for granted where. You know, I could have probably done a little bit more homework in terms of my decisions in terms of where to play, but it did ease the burden of one more thing while you're trying to get done with finals and your thesis that I didn't have to worry about was getting a job. Because I knew I pretty much had a place to play, whether it was in the single A or double A league, you know, I knew that I would find a home given what, you know, the contract said and what, you know, my agent was saying. So it took a little bit of stress off that decision of, not knowing what to do um, once, you know, you walk down and got your diploma and in case of Hamilton, your nice little cane. Um, with, with that transition and like that immediate, I guess, you know, camps and whatnot, did you ever, did you ever have any anxiety or any kind of mental health, like looking back or did you feel lonely not knowing like where you're going to end up and then seeing, I mean, I don't know how many of your, your friends or your peers were, you know, playing professional sports after school. Like what, what was that kind of like in the moment, or I guess even looking back in hindsight, what was that experience like? It's a good question. The, um, so yeah, the first, the first year was just mostly excitement. Right. Uh, Although, you know, I did, I get, I did get traded twice technically. Um, so there was a little bit of moving around, you know, and that was fine because I still had a paid position and, um, you know, but I think, I think that as time, you know, I spent probably four, four to five years combination total playing as, as that progressed from day one through day, you know, year five, I think that it was fine up front, but the further and further I got away from school, I always felt like, okay, is it the right decision? Like there was always that like battle of myself. It was, am I making the right decision by playing another year or should I start a career in something, right? Because you have all these friends that you go to school with. Nine, I think out of like, you know, well, we graduated six in my senior class um, on a hockey team. You know, one, one, other, uh, one other teammate went on to play, didn't play too much and, and decided to get in the working world, so to speak. The, um, 
but it was always like, okay, am I losing ground? Right. Like, you know, I, I'm giving myself the opportunity maybe to move up in hockey, but am I losing ground as time goes by in terms of getting my feet into some sort of career path? Right. So I think probably at the time there was that struggle, uh, in, in terms of decisions. And, um, if, if I had to analyze it now, which, which I, and I, and honestly say, I think I took the easy way out and said, geez, it's just as easy to sign a, another contract because the team wants me back versus spend the time, effort, and energy of trying to figure out what I really want to do for the rest of my life. So, you know, there probably was some sense of confusion, which probably didn't play, to, you know, keep a roster spot on the team, which was as years went by, the players just kept getting younger than I was and better than I was. So, yeah, there was probably some anguish inside that I probably dealt with probably not in the most efficient and effective ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not super comparable. I did a year of business school and I remember coming out and seeing, you know, a year out of business school, my friends getting promotions and being like, Oh, was that like the wrong decision to like do a year of school? Because now I felt like I was behind in some sense when that wasn't really the case because I felt like in the long term. I would have really regretted not doing it. And I feel like it made me, it was like the best thing I could have done. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really interesting. You, you know, talking about like losing ground while, because five years is a long time, especially like in, in the corporate, corporate world. Um, I mean, in sports too, but definitely in your, in your career. So when you got out of hockey, what, what was that decision like? Like, was it easy? Was it a no brainer or were you kind of, you know, back and forth sleepless nights? What factors went into the decision? Can you walk us through it? Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll, let me pull the reel back a little bit. So, you, you know, have a good successful career in college, you know, obviously there was thousands of college hockey players, right. That X percent, maybe 7% to get around and play any professional level. Um, so I ended up being like, I was somewhat of a, you know, a good player, puck moving defenseman. And, you know, as the years went on uh, playing, I somehow morphed into this agitator type role where, you know, my gloves always didn't stay on where they probably should have been. So after uh, getting in a couple of those, uh, let's just say matches um, to, to help, help protect, let's just say, uh, some of the better, more skilled players on the team, um, it kind of gets wearing after a while. I mean, you've seen all the injuries and all the effects that fighting can have and, 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 and uh, repetitive injuries and stuff like that, that these hockey players suffer. And it just kind of got wearing. And at that time, um, I had a great time. I was in Memphis, Tennessee playing and it was a great team, good squad. I, I you know, kept myself busy during the summers, but I, I kind of realized a couple of things like, you know, I wasn't getting any younger. I, I wasn't putting in the work. Now I realize it to get myself much better. Like I was hanging on to a position and I knew at some point that, um, I needed to advance just personally, you know, uh, and, and professionally. And, um, maybe was looking at some of the guys that were even older than I, that had hung around for eight, 10, 12 years. Right. Um, and just saying, listen, I, I, I can't see myself there. Right. So, yeah, it was, uh, I, I kind of, I, I was fortunate enough to have good friends like we all do in college and good connections. And, as I was looking back up in the Northeast, probably uh, first part of my last season down in, down in Memphis, um, I was coming back up to New York for, I think I came back for 
a funeral or something. And I, and I stopped in Princeton, New Jersey. And I, long story short, as I met with a guy that I had met, he was a Hamilton grad younger before me. And he said, he had owned a company. He said, well, if you're going to look in New York, why don't you look working for me? So I kind of knew I had that in pocket, right. If I wanted to. And uh, so I knew the transition was coming up. I wouldn't have to just be like in limbo without a job. I knew if I wanted to work, I could work for the entity. It was in the mortgage space. So I knew that was in, uh, in my pocket. I kind of delayed the start on there, took the offer and said, Hey, I'm going to look in New York and stuff. So I did do so. I did some work in New York and now that he's out here, but I, I kind of had a burden hand, so to speak. So I didn't have to go through extensive interviews and, and such to be able to know that I had another place to kind of at least get my feet wet in the, in the mortgage world. And that's where I thought it would be. Uh, like I, you know, I really thought I'd be here for a couple of years and then, and then move on to New York or Boston or, you know, somewhere else and kind of figure out what I wanted to do the rest of my life. So I don't think there was much anxiety involved in it. I think I, I made, I made, I, I thought at the time I was making a pretty clean break, like, um, you know, in terms of AI yeah, friends that were, you know, Miami, Ohio kids and UVM and, uh, you know, Dartmouth that were all kind of hanging them up at the same time and kind of going on to the next stage of our life. So it kind of just seemed like a good fit to, to get out. And like I said, I didn't have much anxiety around it at the time because I kind of had an offer um, that at least was a, what I would say at the time was a backup offer. And now has been, you know, matured into a 23 year career in the business. So. You said, you said I didn't have anxiety at the time. Does that mean that there is some anxiety later after you had left and hung up the cleats? Yeah, I think, you know, like I think you had mentioned earlier, I didn't know what to call it, right? I, I just didn't know what to call it. Like it wasn't that prevalent in terms of my world slash ecosystem, right? I didn't have any friends that had or that I knew of that had anxiety, that had depression. Um, you know, I had read about it. You know, I, I had seen, um, you know, at the time, uh, like mid nineties. Oh yeah. Let me, I'll back up a little bit. So I correct it in 1995. So three years before I stopped playing, I, um, our team trainer and another friend of mine at the time went to our doctor and said, listen, Scott just is not right. You know, there's just something not right with them. And, uh, I did a very extensive neuropsych battery. I thought it was post-concussion syndrome. It was kind of just coming to the forefront. I think it was a Buffalo Sabre player that had it. And I went through that whole test, which is if, if you ever, you know, it's a, it's a pretty intense test. It's hours and hours of things that you would be like, why am I doing this? But I kind of understand that. And uh, I got through with it, went back the, the following week and the, the, the doctor had said, Scott, I don't think it's post-concussion syndrome. I think you suffer from depression and anxiety. And I politely said, I, I disagree with you. I, um, you know, get paid to play hockey. My golf handicap is pretty good. You know, doing the sport I love, I, I just happen to disagree with you. And you know what? I um, I kind of mentally accepted that my analysis or diagnosis for probably the next twenty years. So somebody had recognized it, and I I just refused to admit it. So and that was that was buried and dormant, um, if that makes sense, in me for a while. So and I think that's just something that you know didn't didn't go away. And then uh, in, in a lot of ways, you know, reared its ugly head and then eventually, you know, got me to a point where I basically just threw in the talents and why am I, why am I struggling with this and not asking for the help I need? And why am I, 
why am I ashamed to admit it? So I know that's a lot of ground to cover, but I wanted to back up that during my career it was somebody didn't notice it and I just refused to admit it. And that's not uncommon. I think that that's like very, from conversations I've had with people, it's very human, you know, for people to raise the flag and say, Hey, like we think something's off. And until we think it's off ourselves or like, unfortunately for a lot of people get to like a, a breaking point, um, like we don't want to admit it, right? Like we don't want to admit when we don't feel normal or something's wrong. And I think that's why having these conversations are so empowering because everyone, you know, at some point and sometime like has, has gone through that. I feel like to a certain extent, to varying degrees, um, you said it, you know, it kind of got to a point, like, what was your, what was your journey through like working and how was, how was all that? And can you, can you go through that with us? Yeah. So, so I mentioned so 23 years so 98 is starting to work with us. I get in, I didn't, I was in a you know, sales business, right? So I, I really didn't like it the first year or so. I mean, I, I, it just didn't fit my personality. I, I just couldn't understand like the business, what I was trying to sell, all that sort of stuff. I just, it was, it was not, it wasn't the best experience, but I understand it was, it was something that I, it needed to happen. Well, fortunately, I plugged myself back into the hockey community here. I coached a little bit in terms of youth hockey, um, helped pay the bills, but also helped establish some really, really good um, relationships that I still have today. Um, and then 2000, I think 2000, so I'm up here a year and a half, two years. Uh, the Flyers and Islanders decided to put a, a farm team in Trenton, New Jersey, which is right down the road. And I got asked uh, then by head coach Bruce Cassidy, who's now uh, with the Bruins, to come to camp because they knew I was, you know, I played and I was a local guy. And uh, I went to camp and I played uh, parts of about two or three seasons with them as need be, you know, um, which is, I don't know, 30, 40 games with them. So it kind of extended my connection to the hockey world. And it also allowed me to a, make a little bit extra money, but also, you know, um, it wasn't a bad thing to have on my, on my resume in terms of getting introductions to people, obviously with a new team, we would, you know, sold out most of the games that year and hockey obviously is pretty big up in the Northeast. So, but, you know, after that, uh, after that fizzled, so to speak, and great relationships there, I had a pretty, you know, I've had a pretty successful, um, you know, let's say climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. And not just in terms of positions or titles, because, you know, for what it's worth, you know, I don't, I don't have too much, put too much merit in a lot of that. It's uh, but yeah, I had a good ascension up there, you know, W2 looked great. You know, I was checking all the boxes, good job, W2, very, very blessed to travel a lot. You know, at the time, the first 15, 15 years of the business, not married, no kids, you know, had a lot of flexibility, you know, played a lot of golf, met a lot of people, a lot of trips, um, everything on the surface looked great, you know, um, bigger pay each year, bigger responsibilities. I kind of felt challenged. I had all that stuff that we want or we, that we kind of crave as athletes on the field or on the ice. Right. So there were all those, all those things there. Um, and what happened is, uh, eight years ago, I get married. We have uh, our daughter after that, a year after that. And still, you know, white picket fence, nice house, country club, you know, great. Blessed to have all this, right? Great friends, travel. Um, 
I, I, it was for just over four years ago. Um, not dealing with, not asterisk here, not dealing with my mental health issues at all. Like literally just burying them, right? Like how could I, how could they be affecting me? Look at, you know, look at, I've got this job. I got a wife, I got a kid, I got one on the way, you know, okay, we'll get that. You want, okay, we'll get that, right? Not being responsible, but really not being mindful of kind of what was like, like internally happening with me, right? I just kept not admitting it, just denying it, denying it, you know, being like, I can't be that bad, right? Can't be that bad, can't be that bad. Um, you know, so on the outside, everything looked pretty darn good. On the inside, it was pretty much a wreck. So four years ago, a little over four years ago, um, uh, early April, of, uh, I said, I said 2008 the other day, uh, 18, I had a fall downstairs in our house in Princeton. And uh, in short, my wife luckily found me not right after she was upstairs asleep. Um, I had three subdermal uh, brain hemorrhages, traumatic brain injury, fractured face, you name it. Um, don't really recall about four or five months of that year. But luckily, she found me in enough time where I didn't bleed out and die. So fast forward, like four or five months of trying to figure out what was going on, not recalling a lot, um, but then talking to people and my neurologist, who's great, about, okay, what's next? Like, what are going to be my limitations? Like, it was a severe injury and trying to figure out what was happening next outside of some of the stuff that was going on with work is, um, you know, I was asked to speak to a couple of people, people I know who had suffered traumatic brain injuries that I didn't know, right? You know, walk around with something in your forehead saying I suffered a TBI, let's talk, right? But friends of mine, it just felt like he had something to talk to. So I started getting involved in the brain injury and started to talk about some local entities and some Canadian-based entities that deal with concussion and stuff. And I felt really, really good about sharing my story behind it. And then something just hit me as saying, well, if this helps me on that end, why am I such a wimp by not sharing my story on my mental health struggles? So I worked hard to, um, on myself in terms of trying to get it to a point where I sought the help that I needed, talked to people I needed to, spoke with people who, who, who shared with me that their struggles with their mental health journey. And then I spoke to a good friend um, who's a huge mental health advocate for a big pharma company here in Princeton. And I said, how can I get more involved? Because throwing checks and running events and putting on your LinkedIn that you're a supporter of Trinity Counseling Service here in Princeton, New Jersey is great. It helps people, but not as much as me sharing my story, you know, and talking to people and being an advocate in that way. So that's sort of the journey in terms of my mental health advocacy and, and then what stemmed from that. And being able to say, hey, I'm an open book, whether it's my my success in business, whether it's my, you know, traumatic brain injury, whether it's my, uh, you know, transition from athlete to, you know, working professional, like, I'll share with you any experience I have, if it helps you. take a quick break and we'll get back to Scott in a moment. I'd like to take a second to talk about Morgan's Message. Morgan's Message is a nonprofit founded in 2020 to honor Morgan Rogers. Not only was Morgan a talented athlete, she was a bright student and artist that had a deep passion for all genres of music. 
Through amplifying stories, resources, and expertise to confront student-athlete mental health, we are building a community by and for athletes and providing a platform for advocacy. Morgan's message strives to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health within the student-athlete community and equalize the treatment of physical and mental health in athletics. Morgan's message aims to expand the dialogue on mental health by normalizing conversations, empowering those who suffer in silence, and supporting those who feel alone. To help us take a shot at mental health, to support our mission, or to find out more, head to morgansmessage.org or follow along on Instagram at Morgan's Message. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting because I feel like with, with talking to you, a lot of people I've talked to have been, you know, early to late twenties or early thirties. Um, and they've had, had their, their like, you know, light at the end of the tunnel moments earlier on. And with you and, you know, it, it not coming totally to this like intersection until your forties. Um, I'm kind of astounded in a way that, I don't know, you're able, honestly able to, to hold on and, and deal with what you I'm sure dealt with underneath for so many years. Um, why do you think it is? And this is just the curiosity in me because I ask myself this question so often. Like, why do you think it is that people who think on paper that they have everything, whether it's like they have a scholarship to, you know, a top 10 division one lacrosse school that's also ranked top nationally or have the white picket fence and the beautiful loving wife and beautiful kids? Why do you think that it's like, we push down our mental health and try to think because we have all this, like I'm, I'm probably not actually struggling. I don't know if I phrased that the right way, but like kind of what you were saying about like, you know, I had this, I had that. I didn't really deal with it. Like, why do you think that is? Um, without, if I could focus in a little bit more on like the athletic community, the athlete community. Yeah. Yeah. In general is I think, um, you know, like you played, you played college across at the highest level, right? Like you, you know, did, couldn't be a better program um, out there, right? Like you played very competitive sports all your life and then obviously in college. So I think part of the athlete in us wants to uh, feel like we can fight through anything because we probably have adversity, challenges, you know, you, you set goals for yourself and some you don't hit, some you do, you fall up. So I think, you know, I think for me, um, it's kind of in your DNA, like to kind of somehow suppress some of those things because, oh, tomorrow will be better, right? Oh, tomorrow I can be better. I can pick myself off of this, right? And whether you're playing an individual sport or a team sport, you know, I think sometimes we rely on ourselves too much to, to get ourselves out of those binds. And I think when it comes to mental health, it's a, it's a little bit trickier than that. Um, there's a lot trickier than that, right? And, you know, I was talking to somebody in the, uh, the other day and they were talking about, you know, their struggles. I was at actually a charity event, a lot of hockey players up in Boston last week and talking about younger guy about, um, his, his recent acknowledgement of his struggles and talking about how, like, you know, 
there's a bucket and each one of these little instances, you know, drops a bucket, drop, puts a drop in the bucket, right? And they add up and add up and add up. And if you have no one to talk to or no release point, or, you know, God forbid you don't have a, you know, a sport to go play where you can release some of that, those endorphins or whatever it is that they add up and it can end up in some really, you know, put people in some really bad spots. But I think it's a little bit of, um, I think there might be some pride involved and I don't say that in any bad way. Right. Because you're an athlete, like you've, 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 whether you've made it through college or high school or professionally, you're an athlete and that's in your DNA. And a lot of the stuff that you've done, you've been able to pull yourself out of bad situations. Right. And not ask for help. And even though we, you know, are, you know, are also good team players that when it deals with something that's so far off the radar for most people, well, that most people think is so far off the radar, but obviously we know so much more, so many more people are affected by mental health, whether directly or indirectly, um, that it's something that like for me, in my experience, I, I pushed off, like I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. And I just think it adds up to a certain spot, you know, where there's a tipping point. And unfortunately for me, that tipping point was, you know, almost nearly dying and actually just taking a look at it. So, you know, I, I applaud the people that realized it earlier. I don't know whether nowadays it's just younger, you know, uh, younger that there's more stress put on athletes or more stress put on people, uh, people from outside sources and compiled the fact that the, the, the stress and the, um, the expectations you put on yourself, especially being an athlete, that they can weigh you down and, and put you in some bad spots. So, um, I don't know. I think it's, uh, just asking for help when you've managed to get where you were, whether it's personally or professionally, one way, shape or form is tough for people to do. And it's so, as you know, it's so, um, it's so rewarding and such a incredible thing when you're on the other side of that, that wall, so to speak. Definitely. Um, how has your experiences shaped your conversations. I mean, I know your kids are younger, but I guess your current conversations with your kids about whether it's like emotions or, you know, how has that changed how you look at relationships and how you talk about, you know, feelings with your kids or how you plan on kind of introducing the concept of mental health to them? Yeah, great question. I think that the first start, because our kids are so young, like, you know, not to mean that they're, you know, not affected by it in one or shape or form, or just starting, you know, having good open communication with them, like just being present, right? As simple as like, hey, what happened at school today? Like, hey, you know, just having that communication where, you know, like, you know, I'm 51 years old, so I've seen a lot of stuff in my 51 years. So, you know, I can do the Jedi mind trick and kind of get them to open up a little bit more than maybe I could a, you know, a 48 year old adult male that just got out of playing hockey or something, right? So it's just a matter of having those conversations and having them in a, in a kind of a safe environment. So it's, you know, just taking the time and actually listening to what your kids are saying and be able to pick up on little things that, um, you know, otherwise you might not. I mean, I, I've had the fortune uh, of, uh, and I've been blessed with the ability to, and the need to actually scale things back a little bit in terms of inputs just because of my injury. So it's taken a lot of the variables out of, or I try to take as many variables out of my life as possible in terms of input, whether it's social media, whether it's news, so I can actually be more present and focus on what it is. But I think to answer your question more directly, it's just having that conversation now. So they're used to being able to share things with you. And I'm not saying as our six and a half year old grows up to be eight, 10, 12, 15, she'll probably go to her mom, you know, but then I'll have the conversation with my son. But I think it's just that dialogue up front and letting your kids know where 
you know, your friends know that, Hey, I'm here for you. Um, you know, and that all stems off of trust and, and, and such, but with the kids, it's just getting them acclimated to the, the too open and honest conversation. Can you give an, I, I know this is putting you on the spot, but for like any parents who are listening who might be like nodding their heads and they're like, wait, but like, what do those questions actually look like? Like, do you have some examples of, I know you said like what went on at school today? Like, do you have kind of guiding questions you can give anyone listening that they can ask, you know, their friends or their kids or whatever to try to get them to open up and foster those open lines of communication? Yeah, you know, off the top of my head, I think it's like you can, you, I think you can ask probing questions without them seeing probing, like you're, like it's not an inquisition. Like, you know, what's the, what's the best thing that happened in school today? You know, or what made you smile today? You know, or, you know, who, you know, things like that, that aren't just like how your day go, right? Because that's, I don't think it's specific. I think you want to get, or I try to at least to get our daughter to, to have a more direct answer, like, hey, because I think if you say, hey, what's the best thing that happened today? Did anything, you know, go wrong or just something like that, that um, might get them to elaborate a little bit more than, oh, it was a good day. We did this. Like, you know, I don't know if there's anything direct. I think you just need to, you know, you know, your kid, children and not just assume that everything's well and just have that communication and spend time. And I think whether you're 51 years old, 70 years old or seven years old, I think just paying attention to your kid and, and actively listening to your kid, although it seems like, well, yeah, it's just that you'll pick up on things and you'll be able to ask more meaningful questions and don't, you know, I think I try to, and I don't stick to it all the time, you know, spend a little bit of time every day, you know, either in the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, just to kind of do a recap. Um, no, so no specific questions. I think you just need to, you know, not leave anything on a cliffhanger, like probe a little bit more without feeling like you're, you know, putting the kid under the spotlight and uh, yeah. demanding questions. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I'm still early in that journey, you know, with it, with the kids being young. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. Um, yeah. It's interesting, right? Like, I feel like the biggest thing I've been struggling with, I guess, recently, and I'm sure as a parent, it's even like amplified times like 500 is being present. Um, like I recently had to delete like my social media apps because I was like, I'm realizing I'm spending so much time mindlessly scrolling when I could be reading a book or calling my sister or doing things that are, I don't want to say like bettering me, but like, you know, working out my mind or things that I do enjoy, but I just like felt like I didn't have the time for because that time was being consumed on social media. And I felt like I wasn't where my feet were because I was not necessarily consciously comparing to other people, but definitely comparing to other people, which can be a dangerous cycle to go down. Right. It's like, well, they're going here this weekend and like, I'm, you know, taking, and I love walking my dog, but like me watching someone else go on the beach, I'm like, do I actually love walking my dog? Like, would I rather be on the beach? And it's like, when I have that taken away, like the social media, the comparison, the, the highlight reel of everyone else's life, I realize like what I actually love in life and how I can show up and be a better 
be a better me. I know that's a little bit of a tangent, but I feel like that goes into what you were saying and like taking out some of these variables, right? Like, I feel like when we can show up for ourselves and be present, it helps us be present for other people. Um, yeah. 100%. I, I, I applaud you on that. Like it's, it's hard to do. I mean, I don't know the stats, but it's hours and hours a day average. Right. And it's, oh, mine was five hours. It was so bad. I was like, how am I even spending five hours on my phone? You know, you don't even realize. Yeah. I think technology is very powerful, uh, but in, in destructive ways, but also constructive ways. Right. So that's where, you know, I think, and, and I'll be the first to admit, like, you know, there were times years ago where, you know, it, like you said, like when people wake up and they start the day with, with how good their life's going by how many friends like their posts. Right. And, and, uh, it gets, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff written about that in terms of how it can really mess with your mental well-being, and to pick, pick yourself out of that, or at least limit yourself from that and, and use that time more wisely, whether it's just sitting in the sun or, going on a walk with your dog or which I need to do more often um, is, is 100% better than scrolling through all the algorithms and 48 million posts to find out, find the picture of your buddy at the, at the shore. Yeah. And sometimes pretending they're having a good time when they're really not. So that's the, that's the tricky part of it. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it can be misleading. Um, And, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a lose, lose situation. Um. I, I know we've been chatting for a while and I definitely want to talk about what you're doing with Sherapy. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Hopefully that air just kicked down. So hope you can hear it. Yeah. So, uh, after, after my fall and kind of just doing a little deep dive in terms of, you know, what I need to work on personally and just kind of how I got to where I was both the good and the bad. Um, I basically, and especially in my uh, advocacy for mental health, I decided, you know, what, you know, and all the stats out there and, and maybe it's an age thing that I just decided that, you know, one thing that I think that we're not really tapping into, um, that is out there is human experience, like lived experience, shared experience. Right. So the old days of storytelling, you know, around a fire, you know, uh, you know, pre-social media, uh, type things. Um, and with all, you know, with all the goods and bads, like I said, about technology, you know, I, I believe that, you know, while there are a, a lot of podcasts out there, whether a lot of books out there, whether a lot of boards out there um, and a lot of things for people to do is a lot of people just don't get to share their lived experiences, which I think is an incredibly powerful thing. You know, nothing against degrees and nothing against, you know, uh, people working in professions. But I truly believe that sharing your lived experience is so powerful and that doesn't need to be on mental health. It doesn't need to be on a traumatic brain injury. It doesn't need to be an alcoholism or a drug addiction. It could be anything, right? It's just a way to keep people in a growth mode and a connection mode and a contribution mode. Like, you know, so the three key components are three key components within our lives. You know, that studies have been done by far more smarter people than I have or than I am our growth connection and contribution. So it's a matter of what we're doing is just building and supporting communities. Like for instance, the hockey community, the athlete community, right? And providing with them the space and the resources needed where they can openly share their experience. So athletes in transition, who best to speak to them about it than other athletes in transition, people in the mental health that have gone through it, people that are open and honest about sharing their mental health, uh, mothers with new babies, people that have gone through it before. So while like, for instance, my wife, who isn't a, um, uh, a doctor, uh, she's a great asset for new moms, right? Cause she's been through it, you know, twice. 
right? But I don't think there's a lot of platforms out there where you can actually share that sort of experience when you want um, and how you want it and actually be a listener on the other end to understand how somebody's going through something and help them get through it um, and define it, you know, maybe a quicker and easier, maybe a less costly way, right? So what we've been doing is building communities and providing the resources all with all with the with the notion of mental health and wellness being in the background with hopes that people will come together to build those trusting relationships and build a little bit more um, ability to have vulnerability and share some things that they otherwise would not share in the workplace or on a podcast, you know, which were and this, and, and let me do a little asterisk. Therapy by no means uh, implies that we're licensed therapists because that gets into a slippery slope. But it's saying, hey, once you build trust with somebody, once you have some comfort with somebody, you're you're likely more willing to share some things that are on your mind, right? And that becomes therapeutic. It happens whether you're getting together in a book club and goes off topic about life in general, you know, guys or girls playing golf, you get to start talking about life. Anything that you know, get stuff off of people's chest where they can feel that sort of relief or that somebody's listening. So, and we're collaborating with, you know, a lot of entities that are out there in the space that are just trying to do good by people. And I believe whether it's in the business world, the sports world, or just life in general, that there, there's a, there could be a quicker, easier way. And that could be through a shared lived experience. And that's kind of how I built my relationships in the past. And I, I really truly feel like I wasn't, uh, you know, wanting to go out there and make, five million sales calls to do two sales. I just wanted to go really deep. And that was just identifying people that I shared similar interests with and then going from there. Because the last thing I'll say is, you know, I think in the business world, you know, I, I kind of joke around with it, but I don't think it's a joke is, you know, in the sales side, but it is listening at the sales is, you know, probably one of the questions you, the most common asked questions is, well, just cat, what do you do for a living? Right? So I meet you, what do you do for a living? Statistics say that more than half the people don't like what they do for a living. So you're asking them to talk about something they don't like doing, right? Versus saying, hey, cat, what do you do for fun? Right? So we create these instances or these, these, these opportunities for people to have more stickiness to be able to say, wow, the cross, that's pretty cool. You know, my cousin played the cross, right? So the conversation a lot of times goes a lot deeper, more meaningful, and that trust builds a little bit quicker versus saying, hey, I'm a mortgage person or I'm a you know, working at the, the VC world or something like that, where it's just, uh, I didn't get any chance or give myself any chance to get in front of that person again to actually truly help them. So that's a lot and a little, I don't have an elevator speech because I just speak from the heart and it's my passion to help people. And anywhere I can get people involved together to share their experience openly and honestly to help others. I, I really do believe we can build a really, really good overall community uh, encompassed by a lot of communities that are really out there to help people. So, yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, as I've gotten older, I've realized it, I've become more and more aware of like trying to find connections through, through like interests or, you know, past experiences. I think, you know, whenever people, at least up here, it's like, Oh, where'd you go to college? Right. I'm still like only a few years out. Well, my fifth year is next year, which is crazy, but like, where'd you go to college? Oh, did you play a sport? And then from there, it's normally like, oh, I played here. Do you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's normally, I feel like how my connections come about. And you're right. It does build trust. Like if I know someone has, you know, played a collegiate sport, I automatically feel like, you know, I like know them a little bit more if they know a mutual friend or if they are involved in something that I'm passionate about, or I've read the same book. Um, so I completely agree. And I think it's awesome that 
you know, there's this platform where you can kind of share, share these shared experiences. Um, if people want to find out more or if they wanted to like, you know, get involved, um, get on the app, whatever it is, uh, where, where would they go? How would they do that? So, yeah, so we have a, <laughs> so the, uh, Sharapy.com, S-H-A-R-E-A-P-Y.com. So that'll give you, you know, a little bit of insight in terms of what we're doing. There is a, you know, request more info on there. It goes directly to my staff and then to me, um, where I'm more than happy to explain kind of what we're doing, not only uh, that's shown on the site, but also behind the scenes once we're in our communities and our membership. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm glad to speak with anybody and, um, you know, we're very collaborative in nature. So anybody, you know, that's, that's in the fight for, you know, mental health and wellness, you know, like a band or like you, you guys, um, your girls, sorry. Um, like the more eyeballs we can put on a lot of these things, the better that I think we can do in terms of helping, you know, destigmatize, you know, uh, mental health and, and help people in the need. So that's where you go. And, um, you know, to learn more about it and just keep, you know, keep, keep us in mind because we're growing, we're doing some great stuff in the athletic space. And I, like, I applaud you and what you, what you, you guys have set up. And, um, and I think that like the world's your oyster in terms of getting people on because you're in a, in a, you know, you, you just created another community for yourself, right? That there's a lot of people out there that need the help and are willing to share it, you know? So you have your lacrosse community, the Duke community, which are probably great, you know, the alumni networks, you know, like you said, lacrosse, you've got that, you know, instant stickiness with other people that have played the cross. Um, but, you know, the mental health space is just another, another area where you can actually meet meaningful connections. And that's what we're all about. It just, you know, it's, it's creating that space and, 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 uh, and basically, you know, creating masterminds, think tanks, but just aggregating human experience and then just leveraging it to help others out. So they can go through situations a little bit easier, I should say, maybe that's not the right word, or maybe we can prevent them from getting into such situations that we've been in. So. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I, I have one, one closing question before we wrap. Um, what would be your piece of advice to anyone listening who may be struggling with their own mental health or like what you could have said to yourself, you know, 10, 20 years ago when you were struggling? Well, 20, uh, you gotta pick up the phone or you gotta, you gotta ask for help. You know, I, I believe life's a we program, you know, I think, um, you know, trying to get through it yourself, um, while it's doable, you're just going to put undue stress and, uh, just make it tougher on yourself. I think, you know, there, there don't just assume you're in this thing alone. There's a lot of people out there. And as, as more awareness comes out, just reach out and help and, you know, be open about it and, and, uh, don't feel like you have to go it alone. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, that was great. Thank you so much, Scott, for, for coming on and for talking about, you know, your experience and then what you're, what you're kind of doing now in the space. Um, I'm very grateful for, for you coming on. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Anything I can do to help, help y'all out, just let me know. Awesome. shout out to Scott for coming on the mental matchup and talking 
talking just about, you know, his, his experiences in his life and what he's kind of gone through and seen throughout it. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for his vulnerability and for his willingness to, to come on and share more and also talk about therapy, which I think is, is awesome. Um, so huge shout out to Scott. Another big shout out to Morgan's message for presenting the mental matchup. We would not be here without them. If you want to learn more about Morgan's message, you can head to morgansmessage.org or follow on Instagram at Morgan's message. And of course you can find out more about the mental matchup at the mental matchup or online at thementalmatchup.com. If you want to submit a story or want to come on the podcast, share your story, you can submit through our form on thementalmatchup.com or on Morgan's message through the submission form. With that, we will see you next episode.